Today's podcast episode is sponsored by the Afterlife Awareness Conference. The Afterlife Conference will be virtual again this year in 2021, and we hope you'll join us online June 24th through the 27th. As we have done for the last 11 years, we unite the disciplines in exploring the survival of consciousness after death, offering wisdom from hospice professionals, physicians, mediums, shamans, scholars, and counselors who share a deep understanding of death and beyond. This year, we are honored to have Dr. Robert Thurman, a worldwide authority on Indo-Tibetan Buddhism, as our keynote speaker. He'll be teaching us how to die like a Tibetan Buddhist and is also offering a workshop on Buddhist cosmology. We are also proud to feature returning scholar Dr. Ken Doka, senior consultant to the Hospice Foundation of America, who will talk about the mystical experiences of the dying, and Dr. Jeff Black, a psychiatrist who is also a shamanic practitioner who works with ritual practices for death and bereavement. In addition, we have general sessions addressing everything from music, Phantology and death doula work to ancestral healing practices and grief support. And there are continuing education credits available for licensed professionals. Visit our website at afterlifeconference.com for all the details. We look forward to seeing you there. Hi, and thanks for tuning in to the Path 11 podcast. I am your host, April Hanna. At the Path 11 Podcast, we are here trying to deliver leading-edge research on consciousness, healing, and metaphysics. And just like you, we are trying to answer the big questions about life. Who are we? Why are we here? And what is our purpose? We hope by listening to our podcast, it will make each day you live on Earth a little easier to understand. And now for today's podcast. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Path 11 podcast. My guest today is Sylvia True, and I'm really excited to speak with her because we are going to blend a little bit of healing, paranormal stuff, and mental health and psychology in with a very interesting experience um, that some of you may have family lineage that you can relate to with uh, Sylvia's story. But she wrote a book called Where Madness Lies. And it's a story about hope and redemption, about what we pass on both genetically and culturally. It's about the high price of repression and how one woman who lost nearly everything must be willing to reveal the failures of the past in order to save future generations. And this book that she wrote, Where Madness Lies, is based on a true story of her own family. So Sylvia, I don't want to give too much away. Welcome to the Path Loving Podcast. And, you know, I, I... I didn't mention that Where Madness Lies is a story about the high price of repression in Nazi Germany. So, but I really wanted you to kind of start with the history of your family, maybe the inspiration for this book. And then we'll kind of go into talking about how the Nazis treated those with mental illness. And we'll talk about kind of that ambiguity between mental illness and paranormal experiences. And we'll just have a lot of fun with this conversation today. Okay, thank you for having me. And just so you know, I'm willing to talk about anything, which is sort of partly why my book's about too. Um, And it ties into one of the themes in the book as well. So anyway, a little bit about myself. Both my parents um, were born in Frankfurt, Germany. Um, They were both from Jewish families and they both fled. My mother's family fled to Switzerland um, a little bit earlier on. closer to like 37-ish, and my father's family just made it out, and they fled to England. And then my parents met later in London when my mother was skating. She became a Swiss national champion skater, and my father was a theoretical nuclear physicist, and they married and had 
four children and um, he had a sabbatical outside of Chicago at Argonne National Labs. And that's sort of how we ended up in this country. And I now live in Boston. So that's that's a, a little bit of the backstory of my family. But the story Where Madness Lies is based on um, the bones of the story are true, basically. Some of the historical pieces um, I sort of added in there. They were they're true historically. They're not maybe necessarily connected to my family in the way I connected them in the novel, hence a novel versus a memoir, right? And um, anyway, so my grandmother on my mother's side was from a very wealthy family and she was a brilliant woman. And she had a sister, a younger sister, who was also brilliant and beautiful and a pianist and an artist. And she was mentally ill. And this was in the early thirties. And, you know, times were getting really tricky in the early 30s with the Nazis and mental illness and sterilization. And my grandmother tried everything to help her sister. Um, You know, she did a ton of research. They sought out the best doctors. Eventually, Rigmore was the sister's name, ended up in a mental institution at, you know, the worst time ever for mental patients in Germany. So in Germany, a little bit of history about Germany. Um, Eugenics, which is like race purity, right, was huge all, all around the world. It wasn't just Germany. In fact, um, America at that time in the early 30s, I, you know, they were leading in sterilizations. But in 1933, Germany enacted the sterilization law. And people with mental illness, alcoholism, congenital blindness, feeble-mindedness, whatever that is, were all sterilized. And they sterilized about 400,000 people. Um, during 34 and 39. And then they came up with the euthanasia laws, which um, directly affected my grandmother and her sister. So my grandmother ended up fleeing to Switzerland and really having nothing. Um, You know, she lost her status, her money, her husband. He was the one person in our family who wasn't Jewish. He wouldn't be able to keep his job as a professor in chemistry if he was married to a Jew. So all these things she lost. When she went to Switzerland, I think what happened to her, which is not uncommon, she like took all that trauma, put it in a box and pushed it away. And she became kind of a rigid controlling person, which wasn't what she was like in her youth. But, you know, all the things she couldn't control, she then sort of tried to control what she could. Like, for example, she made sure every clock in her house rang at exactly the same time every day. I mean, so she became the matriarch of our family. Um, She was often displeased with us if we didn't look or act perfect. I mean, we were not allowed to show any weakness, um, especially mental weakness. I had no idea why. Um, I knew, I, I don't know why I knew I was quote unquote weak. I mean, my father always said I was oversensitive. So anyway, um, I was raised partly in Switzerland and partly in the U.S. And so then in my 20s, I think I was, I know, I was depressed my whole life. I had a significant depression, but I kept it at bay as best I could. You know, I struggled. I thought I was weaker, but I pushed myself, pushed myself. But in my 20s, it got really bad and I couldn't drive anymore. The panic attacks were terrible. Um, I was, I felt like I was walking on a tightrope and I didn't know when I was going to fall off, but I knew I was going to fall off and I had no idea what to do or where to go for help. 
because we weren't in our family, we weren't allowed to seek mental health professionals. And then I decided, well, I know what will fix this. I'll have a baby. Well, obviously, this is probably not the best idea, although the result was beautiful. And I have a, a my eldest daughter, Erica, is amazing. Anyway, I had a baby. On top of that, then, was a postpartum depression, and I landed in a mental hospital, um, McLean, which is outside of Boston. It's a very well-known hospital. And I that was like the, the best education of my life. It was an amazing experience. It was difficult, but um, I grew and I learned. And at that time, initially, my grandmother and my mother wouldn't even talk to me. They were too terrified. And I didn't know I was why they were terrified. And the doctors would ask when, you know, when you first admitted to a place like that, is there any mental illness in the family? I was like, absolutely not. I, you know, everybody's perfect, but me, I'm, you know, I'm the black sheep. So slowly my mother and grandmother, especially my grandmother um, came to help and sort of revealed this piece of her past. It was very painful for her to obviously to revisit this but in doing so she allowed me to be free and I think both of us came to finally understand each other you know I had thought she was like the wicked witch of the west and just total bitch and she had thought I was you know weak and whatever I mean we dropped those prejudices I guess when we exposed our fears to each other and we finally we're able to connect and find a path to love and openness. And and it sort of drew the whole family eventually out of the dark. My sister's a very well-known child psychiatrist. And so it, it was an amazing experience. And I talk about mental health to my students as well. I'm a chemistry teacher, but, and I talk about paranormal stuff to that with them as well, but just to keep an open mind and to sort of hope that some of the stigma, I mean, there's a lot less stigma, but, you know, it would be nice if there was none. You know, we could talk about it like we talk about diabetes. Anyway, that was a long opening. <laughs> <laughs> no, that was great. That was great. And, um, you know, it kind of reminds me a little bit of the teachings of A Course in Miracles, that when you begin to shine the light on something, like it can no longer hide and things begin to heal, you know. And when we're doing kind of like the work with the ego and trying to bring the spirit, you know, into things and kind of shed some of these fears, um, you know, when you said that, you know, your grandmother finally opened up and uh, shared this, then there was like a breaking down probably of the battle of the wills a little bit there. And love was able, love and understanding was able to enter into your relationship. Right. Cause I think, and I mean, I used to think this was kind of a trite thing to say, but if there's fear, there almost can't be love. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? It, It sort of blocks, it blocks. Fear does block. And I think that there was an, an, understandably enormous amount of fear um, on my mother's side of the family because of what happened. And that, you know, that causes anxiety and, you know, then it, it, it is hard. And I mean, even, I know this is sort of off the topic, but in these crazy times we're living in, you know, my book in a way, I hope will remind people that you, you need to sit down and, understand the other and understand where their fears lie because it's so easy to get angry and point fingers and blame and to really understand the other person. And I mean, I think, you know, both shame and fear, and those were both really prevalent in my family, 
they do, you know, they do build walls. And if we want to break down those walls, those are the things I think we have to like really get past. Yeah. Now, looking back kind of hindsight at what was going on with you and your battle with depression, um, I know that you had written a, a, an article or an essay in Psychology Today saying that mental health might be something that we inherit. Um, where do you think, looking back, where did your depression come from? Do you feel like it is connected to the genetics of what your ancestors had gone through and that is still was still within you, you know, which kind of talk about epigenetics and things of that sort, right, right. Um, you know, or do you think it was kind of, you know, a little, a little bit of environment of what you were taught or what you were being role modeled in the emotional state and how to kind of like suppress them. So I'd like to hear your views on that. So um, I've always been fascinated by like how much is genetic, I, I, you know, how much is environmental. I, when I was in college, which is forever ago, I mean, we were taught 80% was environmental and only 20% was genetic. And I think we can say that we that's a little lopsided and maybe it's closer to 50-50, although, again, it's impossible right now to really tease out exactly which is which. In my family, and and I think that it's often the case, I mean, there's definitely a genetic component. I mean, you can see it runs through my family from, you know, my mother, my great aunt, me, both my daughters have struggled with depression and anxiety. Um, the difference, which I'm really proud of, of all the things I've done, I think I'm most proud in many ways of being a mother, because when my eldest daughter, Erica, who I had to stop my depression, right, when she was around 14, I mean, she showed clear, clear signs of you know, depression and was turning to things maybe that weren't so good for her. And I immediately, you know, brought her to a therapist, a psychiatrist and a psychic um, because I wanted A, to address the problem openly and B, to get it treated immediately. So she didn't have to like walk around feeling, you know, the way I felt so much of the time, which was like barely hanging on. And, um, I am proud that both my daughters are have no shame around this. You know what I mean? And I think they, they're a little, I'm not going to say they're too open because obviously their mother's pretty open, but um, I mean, to them, it, it is nothing. Like it's not a big deal at all. Like, oh yeah, I take Prozac. Well, doesn't everybody? I mean, not that everybody should, and I'm not, that's not what I'm saying. It's just the lack of shame they carry is beautiful to me because that, if anything, that is what I wanted to do as a parent was break that shame that was running from generation to generation. And you bring up that, you know, epigenetics is really fascinating. And, you know, I, I need to keep learning more about it, but you do wonder, um, especially, you know, things get passed on and yes, partly genetic. And I do think it's partly genetic, but I think that, you know, passing on shame and fear is happens in so many families. I mean, yeah, sure. My family had a big secret with the Nazis and mental illness. And that's like a little bit, I don't know, I, I want to say dramatic, but I don't mean it in a negative way. But I think many families, you know, have secrets and want everybody to look fine and perfect and have shame. And, and that, you know, that's something we all have in our families. And I do think that above all that gets passed on so strongly. 
So that's an interesting combination that you brought them to, right? A therapist, psychiatrist, and a psychic. (laughs) So tell me a little bit more. Why did you decide to bring a psychic into the mix of the treatment plan? Um, Uh, Right. Because, okay. So now, first of all, I come from extremely scientific background, right? So after I got out of McLean, um, I, I was, I felt free and I felt it was su- such an interesting, it wasn't just freedom, but what I had more than anything was curiosity. And that had been shut down when I was depressed. And I am a very curious person. I'm curious about everything, just absolutely everything. And um, so after I got out of McLean and I was feeling much stronger and I, my mind was opening up basically. And I met um, I met a friend and he told me that his mother was psychic. And I was like, well, that's BS. Nobody's psychic. Nobody believes in that. You know, that was against another thing that it, it was another hurdle I had to jump through, interestingly enough, because I'm a, you know, I'm a chemistry teacher. I come from the science background. We're not allowed to believe in stuff like that. You know, that's just, that's for the less educated in my, much of my family believes but I was curious and I went to see this woman named Sophie and she read regular cards, not tarot cards. And um, I don't know if you know, regular cards actually weren't made for playing games. They were actually designed to read people's futures. They were designed for for fortune telling. She blew me away in that first reading. And um, I, you know, that opened my mind. And I, anyway, I, I would, I saw her for 30 years. She died about a year ago. She was 91. Um, and I, I just can't imagine what my life would have been without her and her unbelievable gift. I mean, and it, it left me in awe so many times. And I knew that when Erica, you know, was struggling, I, you know, and I, I know, of course, a therapist and a psychiatrist can help as well. I'm not, I'm not suggesting one's better than the other. They're very different. But the thing that Sophie did that often a psychiatrist won't do, right, is Sophie just reads what's actually going on. And so, you know, that, that pushed Erica to be more open, whereas a psychiatrist might say, you know, how are you feeling? That must be difficult. Sophie would be like, you're choosing to do drugs and drink right now that, you know, so, so that was right out on the table. And Sophie was a dear friend. I have so many unbelievable stories about her anyway. So yeah, the psychic was good. Yeah. And I am familiar. We actually had a guest on our podcast. Um, I have his book actually here because I reference it a lot, Robert Lee Camp. And he um, taught us about how those cards were were used. And he's created like this whole system to it to be able to read these cards. And I was blown away because yeah, a deck of cards. I've played a deck of cards my whole entire life. Never knew that they were really used more for um, readings and stuff like that. So yes, I I am very familiar with that. Um, so tell me a little bit more about some of the, some of your belief in the paranormal and how does, how does that kind of can sometimes mix in with what I guess our Western definition can be called, um, you know, mental illness. Like if you look at schizophrenia or psychosis, right, in kind of the tradition of mental health, and then you look at some people that are having a spiritual experience, and that maybe they are 
hearing voices or getting messages or seeing things from a different reality or maybe a past life, that we can easily classify that as um, being mentally ill. Yeah, you know, it's it's very fascinating. And I'm not a therapist and nor would I ever like label somebody's psycho- psychosis as either paranormal or I mean, or maybe true mental illness. But there, there definitely have been people, um, there's a character in my book who was basically institutionalized for, she um, saw spirits and, you know, she was deemed crazy. And her story in the book is that she, there was a, a fire in her, the group home she lived in, and she knew about the fire before it happened. And obviously, because she knew about it and tried to warn people, she was blamed for it. And there another there are a couple of reasons I put her in the book. One, I think, in terms of story, the most important reason is that she pushes on the grandmother's um, I'm going to say closed mindedness to that kind of thing. So one of my favorite sayings, and I tell my students all the time, you know, only a closed mind is certain. And I think the process of the characters, both characters' growth in the book is to become more open, um, not only to each other, but to other, you know, other realities as well. And um, the character who has the visions, I mean, the visions are, are very clear and the grandmother sort of has to begin to accept those. And that's one of the pieces. And, you know, obviously I believe that sort of, you know, these generations before and after are all connected. So, it's a very important element for me because of my beliefs. That's not what the book, you know, that's not, the book is not just about that, obviously, but those things were very important for me. And it was very important for me to put in a character like that. Yeah. And do you have any of your own uh, stories that you'd like to share about any paranormal experiences or visions that you've had that allowed you to expand maybe outside of your own box? Yeah, so I think my journey with with all of this has been uh, just wonderful, actually, um, in terms of growth and open-mindedness. And what it's done for me, and I, I'll get back to a couple of stories, but what it's done for me is I think when, I mean, we all are, we all come into this world, not come into this world, but we all judge, right? And, you know, certainly my family, you know, their intellectualism, they were very judgmental. And I think I was judgmental. And I think that the journey for me, part of it is letting go of judgments because you begin to accept um, that we don't know so much. And so you begin to question, well, why did that happen? Was that, you know, guided through spirit? I mean, you know, and I think that has made a huge difference in my life. And it was, it's funny because when I started seeing Sophie, which is over 30 years ago, you know, I, I knew that there was no way she knew stuff that there was no way, you know, no way she could research. No, I mean, it was, she just, you know, she knew it. And so I, I believed that, you know, there was psychicness, but I, it was funny how like closed I was to other things. I was like, yeah, but I don't believe in mediums. And I mean, now I kind of laugh at myself because, you know, if you believe in one, why wouldn't you believe in the other? Oh, and then I believed in mediums, but I didn't believe in like 
you know, past lives until I started doing a lot of research into that. So the more research I did and the more people I visited, and I, I also ran up against some really pretty big name frauds. And, I, you know, one of my colleagues and I did a, it's crazy, did a, like a sting operation on this man who, you know, I would never say his name, but it was, it was pretty awful. And um, yeah, through all of that, I mean, I've just had some amazing experiences. I think of like one of, you know, one of the stories with Sophie, I mean, there are so many, but when Erica, my eldest daughter was pregnant with her first um, child, she uh, went to have an ultrasound and it was on New Year's Eve and the ultrasound the ultrasound technician said something to her about that she saw something like an artery in the baby's head and Erica had just had a miscarriage. So, I mean, she, she called me, I was in Chicago, she was in Boston. She called me, she couldn't, she really couldn't speak. She was so upset and distraught and understandably, I mean, this is her first pregnancy. She just had a miscarriage. The ultrasound technician said something she didn't understand. I, I thought, artery in the baby's head. That doesn't make sense. I don't know what she's talking about. I became, of course, panicked and worried and nervous. And I have a number of doctors in my family, one brilliant radiologist, but mm -mm, I didn't call them. I called the psychic. I called Sophie. And Sophie read some cards over the phone and said, no, the baby's fine. There's nothing wrong with the baby. I don't know what Erica or the other woman's talking about. She said, the baby's fine. She said, but Erica can't have sex for two weeks. I was like, well, I'm not going to be telling her that, you know, that's a little too much. And she kept repeating, like, you know, she can't have sex for two weeks. Something hasn't moved yet. And after two weeks, it will be perfectly fine. The baby's fine. Just tell her just not to have sex for two weeks. So I didn't tell her that. But Erica went to her doctor a couple of days later and the doctor said the baby's fine. It was an artifact, right? Artifacts can show up in sonograms. They're, you know, like distortions of sound waves or whatever had nothing to do with the baby. And Erica's placenta hadn't moved yet. It was still low lying. And the doctor said, your placenta is low lying. So if you do have sex, which is perfectly safe, you'll probably spot and then you'll probably freak out. And then you'll probably need another ultrasound, which is totally fine. Just come back. So, you know, of course all that happened, but that Sophie knew those specific details. Like it was, I don't know. And again, it was like having Sophie in my life um, was just so amazing because I, I almost forgot until, you know, she died about a year ago and now I'm sort of reflecting on all these stories and it almost became the ordinary for me. You know what I mean? Like it almost was like, yeah, I'm going to call Sophie cause I'm nervous about whatever. I mean, she was such a dear friend and you know, it almost became like an everyday thing. Well, Sophie will tell me what's going to happen or if it's okay or not. And she did. I mean, anyway. So now that Sophie isn't here and you can't consult her, does that then leave you to begin to find the answers for yourself? Or do you find another psychic or <laughs> what happens there? Oh, that's, that's a great question. So I'm going to like, now I'm going to like completely open up, which this is a little scary. So, um, I met, I met Sophie because I dated her son over 30 years ago. I met him at some 
random party. I had just gotten, I had been out of McLean for a couple of years. I was divorced. I just, I got divorced when I got out of McLean. No, and that's no, it sounds awful, but I mean, my ex-husband was not a jerk at all. It was like we, you know, neither of us understood my mental illness. And when I got better, it was clear we weren't really meant for each other. And so I met this man named Kenny at a party and he's the one who told me about Sophie and he was also psychic. I remember, and I, I thought it was the weirdest thing. Like I had, I had bought him this Christmas present. It was this leather jacket. And um, I was, I was really excited to give it to him. I knew he would love it, but I was also worried that it was too small. And I, I sort of said to him, I remember this was one of the first times I'm like, um, guess what I got you for Christmas? And he was like, I really, I hate guessing. And I'm like, well, who hates guessing? Like that, that's part of the fun of it all. He's like, yeah, no, I hate it. Cause I always get it right. I'm like, that's weird. So I sort of dropped it. And a couple of days later he was like, and by the way, the 42 will fit me just fine. Don't worry about it. I was like, okay, that was weird. How the hell did you know that? And he was like, I don't know. I just know things. So he, came about a year ago to his mother's funeral. Um, I was still married and it was clear we needed to reconnect. And I, I actually, I, I know I'm putting this out there. I didn't have an affair. I told my husband at the time we had been sort of roommates and I was like, I think I have feelings for somebody else. You know, we hadn't been close for years, but we had a perfectly fine, typical, like, life of people who are married, not typical. I shouldn't say typical. We've been married for a long time, but we, you know, went our own ways. And, and so my husband left. Um, and now I'm with Sophie's son, who's a little psychic. Huh. But uh, No, I know that's not, exi- that's not why I'm not. <laughs> oh my God. That came out. So no, long. no, I, I hear what you're saying. No, it's, it's a part of it's the story. Like, so. Yeah. Right. It's just like, I can't believe I connected, Wow. you know, again. And we actually, on New Year's Eve, is right after Sophie died. And uh, this is a complicated story of how I got here. But um, I knew I've, I'd heard of this woman, Robin in Connecticut. That was all the information I was given. And I thought it would be fun. And Kenny and I hadn't reconnected at all, but we were just friends. And, you know, he was grieving over his mother's death. And I thought it would be fun fun to maybe take him to a psychic. Like, I didn't really know. When I looked up this woman and I realized she read cards the exact same way Sophie did, I was like, oh, that's a meant-to-be thing. Then she had two appointments by chance open on New Year's Eve morning. So, you know, I didn't tell him what we were doing. I was like, do you want to go to Connecticut? And he was like, sure. So we went. And this woman knew. I mean, she had no idea who I was bringing. Um, And I've been, unfortunately, the fraudulent thing. I've been, I have dealt with that as well. And she was amazing. And so she is sort of my go-to psychic at the moment. But it's not the same. I mean, she's wonderful. She's great. But yeah, I'm leaning more on myself. Yeah. Do you think... um Sophie had anything to do with bringing you and Kenny back together? I, you know, that I wish I knew. I know when I die, I'll find all this out. (laughs) But I will say that in the end, the last year of her life, she had significant dementia. Um, 
and I still visited her all the time, but less so, or I, I thought it was less so for me. Um, I visit, I'd bring her cake and chat with her and, you know, she'd repeat herself and she knew who I was, but she didn't remember my children or, you know, but she'd still, as soon as she saw me, she'd say, I'm going to read your cards. It was like that. She had that connection, right? She knew me was associated with reading my cards and she, she still wanted to do that. And I thought, you know, of course I'm going to let her do that. And cause I wanted, you know, it was important. I thought that I'd be able to come over and have coffee and cake and sit and read cards and chat just as a way to be a decent human being, I guess I was thinking. But those readings were unbelievably accurate. At the time, I was like, yeah, no, because she kept on talking about an old boyfriend who was coming to town. I'm like, I don't have old boyfriends, right? I've like been with so few people. And I was like, if it was Kenny, she would know. And I remember one day she was, she got really annoyed and she couldn't see who it was because she was like, now who could it be, Sylvia? I'm like, you know, and I just thought it was dementia. Like I had no idea. She also talked about a document that was missing that I needed to get in order. And if I didn't get this document that I was, you know, that I could lose a lot of money. And I was like, I couldn't figure it out. My father was also dying at the time, which she knew. And I, I'm, I was the executor of the will of his estate. And I assumed it might, if she was talking about some kind of paperwork having to do with his estate, but I had, I was like so careful because of my siblings. I wanted, you know, I was like dotted every I crossed every T, you know? So I was like, no, I think everything's in order. And she was so insistent that there was a document missing that if I didn't get it, I, I really would lose a, a lot of money. Well, okay. She dies. Kenny comes in. I can't find anywhere my prenup for my marriage. And that, you know, would essentially have lost me a lot of money. I did find it in the attic. There was one copy in the attic in my youngest daughter's second grade art project box. Oh my gosh, that's so random. <laughs> so right? Like yeah. who's like I didn't I didn't go to file my prenup agreement in the attic in my youngest daughter's second grade art project box. I, I don't know how the hell it ended up there, but that's the only place it might have been safe. You know, come to think of it. Like it was safe up there and nobody else could find it. And I did find it. And so I realized, you know, after she died, all these things that she had told me, you know, dementia is a really interesting thing because I think there's one part of the brain maybe that can be demented, but there's another part of the brain that's used in, you know, psychic and mediumship that I think was still absolutely purer than ever, in fact. Yeah. So yeah. Really- I've talked to um, some people on the podcast too and asked them that question about like dementia and Alzheimer's. And I remember um, someone saying that like it has to also do with the crown chakra. Um, and again, I don't remember exactly what it was that she said, but I was always thinking, you know, about, um, you know, mental health or even um, 
you know, medical diagnoses that we have that can't really be explained, yet they do seem to tap into consciousness, you know, right. and like dementia being one of them. And then when you think about how, you know, the physicists talk about consciousness and non-locale and stuff right. like that, and how consciousness isn't inside the brain, but outside of it. And the fact that she had that and could still read for you and it be so accurate. I mean, that's, that shows that she was tapping into right. another, not even the brain per se, but into the consciousness system to be able to get that information. That's fascinating. Right. And it, you know, and it wasn't, and you know, it's so funny because, and this happened so many times with her. She would tell me things and I was like, oh yeah, that's not true. And, you know, even, and then she died and all this stuff she said was, at, and I remember, so Kenny was living out in California. I live in, in outside of Boston um, and in a town called Natick. And I remember this was literally a couple of days before she died. She was still in her home. Um, and then at the end, she was in the hospital for the last two days, I think, or three days, but she, I was visiting her, you know, and she was like, Kenny's going to move back to Natick. I'm like, why the hell would Kenny ever move back to Natick? You know what I mean? <laughs> I was like, well, again, it's dementia. And it wasn't. It's right. just, it. it's so fascinating. And, you know, as much as my father was against all of this in terms of, you know, he wasn't one, there are physicists who, who are interested in this stuff and, who look at maybe fitting into quantum, you know, mechanics, which is a whole nother thing that I think some people overuse, but I won't go there. Um, but my father, many, many years ago, you know, he had been sort of, I, I'm going to use the word disgusted, which is strong, but like sort of disgusted with me for going to, you know, a psychic. But he did say all those years ago, he was like, if you're going to go, do your research, you know, collect the data, do it with a science, you know, do it with a scientific mind. And I mean, I didn't always do it with a scientific mind, but I did, I did in a way I did. I kept going. I started going to mediums. My daughter called me the medium hunter. Um, you know, I started collecting a lot of data and finding out, unfortunately, some frauds, but many amazing people along the way. So it's been a great journey. Well, maybe you have to do something with that data and actually put it into a book. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm, I am, you know, I, I have been fiddling with that. It's, mm. you know, it's fun. It's a different kind. It feels much lighter. Sorry. And I, I know we got way off the book, but no, um, that's okay. it feels like a different kind of book than Where Madness Lies, but, um, but a different kind of almost lighter in area than when you're dealing with the Nazis and mental illness. Sure. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> it's a little well, dark. Well, going back to the book too, I have a question here. Um, was your grandfather, the doctor of Anne Frank's family? So what's the story behind that? So my grandfather on my father's side um, was the doctor of Anne Frank and her family. They lived in Frankfurt before they fled to Amsterdam. And my grandfather, um, my one grandfather wasn't Jewish and he stayed in Germany. He was a chemist, but this grandfather was Jewish and he absolutely was, I remember him so well. He was just a, a super kind, gentle soul. And he didn't believe that people would do 
what they were going to do. And he was literally forced onto a train by his cousin because he wasn't going to leave Germany. I mean, and I think, you know, that's many of us are like that. I mean, we just don't believe who can, can imagine right. like these horrific things that humans would do to each other. Like it's just unfathomable. And, you know, he did make it out. They, um, they took away, they stripped people of their medical degrees if they were Jewish. And so he had to go and get another medical degree in Scotland, which he did. And then he practiced in England. And about 10 years ago, I think the university of Würzburg where he had gotten his degree, um, reinstated it. It's a little late, but anyway, he, he never, he never got over. And I think many people couldn't, um, it really affected him that obviously. And, and my father always said that he died too young because of it. You know, he just, it was too much trauma. Yeah. So what would you say is your biggest takeaway for um, where madness, madness lies? You know, what's your hope? What was your hope for writing that book and what people will kind of, you know, take from that? So um, there's a lot, there are a number of things, number of things, but I'm going to go with the biggest, which is, you know, there are certainly darkness and, but my, but my hope is that people see that you can move to the light with being open and revealing the secrets of the past, the trauma of the past, that we can get through that, that we can get into a place of light and love. Beautiful. Well said. And I thank you so much for your vulnerability and sharing your stories and allowing us to get to know you on a very personal level. And I know we, like you said, we kind of got off topic with the book, but I think um, our listeners just learning about who you are as an author will draw them to the book and like want to like get in there and and support you and read all of this. So I'm I'm happy you reconnected with Kenny. Thank you. And the two of you came (laughs) together. That was the first time I've shared that. Yeah, well, it's kind of a beautiful love story. And again, it comes back to your message, right? Finding the light, uh, coming out from the darkness, and it's about love. Yes, it is. So perfect. Well, Sylvia, thank you so much. You were a wonderful guest. And um, why don't you, as we end, just let people know where they can find Where Madness Lies and how they can get in touch with you if they need to. So I do have a website, sylviatrue.com. And the book, if you Google, I don't, you know, if you Google it, it's at any major bookstores and also on Amazon. Great. Well, thank you. And much luck to you with this book. And, uh, and when you write that other one, let us know. Yes. And we'll have you back, back on. Okay. All right. <laughs> Thanks. Thank you so much, yes. And thank Bye. you everyone for listening today. Take care, everyone. Thanks again for listening, everyone. I hope you enjoyed that show. And don't forget to head on over to path11tv.com. Grab your annual membership for $59. Remember, that is 40% off the regular price. So I really want you to take advantage of our launch deal of $59. You get over 75 hours of content that we have on there. So head on over to path11tv.com. Take advantage of the annual membership. All right, guys, take care.